a healthy pelvic floor has to have a lengthening and a rebound effect. So it has to have the right elasticity. And some things create too much elasticity and other things will create too much contraction. And either of those will create problems. Hi everyone and welcome to Superwoman Wellness. I'm Dr. Taz. I've made it my mission throughout my career in integrative medicine to support women in restoring their health using a blend of Eastern medical wisdom with modern science. In this show, I will guide you through different practices to find your power type and fully embody the healthiest and most passionate version of you. I'm here for you and I can't wait to get started. This is a Soul Fire production. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Superwoman Wellness, where you know we're determined to bring you back to your superpowered self. Today, we're talking about something a lot of you guys just don't want to talk about. We're going down there. Yes, we're going to talk about your pelvic floor. And it's an area that often doesn't get the attention it needs. And many of you don't even know you're having an issue there. I know this from practice, but joining me today is Dr. Edith Hoyce. I am thrilled to bring her in. She initially developed and perfected over 30 years Revolution in Motion, which has transformed bodies, cleared long-term injuries, upgraded neurology, and produced high-powered performance. The secret to the system is Dr. Weiss's refusal to accept conventional wisdom about the limits of exercise and her deep understanding of anatomy, physiology, neurology, and movement, along with the properties of fascia and allow rapid and seemingly unlikely results. Dr. Hoyce believes that core strength is a critical element in health and fitness. I'm working on that myself right here. However, she defines the core quite differently. Her focus is on the lower abs, the pelvic floor, and the intrinsic muscles of the spine for strength, power, explosiveness, and improved performance. We got a lot to talk about. Welcome to the show, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Edith. I'm thrilled to bring you on here. All right. Pelvic floor wellness. I'm thinking I know it all, right? But break it down for us. What is it? What does it mean? And then we're going to get into all this musculature that you're talking about in just a moment. Okay. So pelvic floor wellness requires that we have a very responsive and resilient pelvic floor. So it needs to be taught when it's appropriate and it needs to be elastic when that's it's when that's appropriate. So really having a responsive pelvic floor is the key to health, to so, a healthy pelvic floor. So respond. And how do you know if your pelvic floor is in trouble or if you do have a responsive pelvic floor? Are there signs and symptoms? There is are. You like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm okay or mm, I'm getting in trouble. So some of the common things that people equate with an unhealthy pelvic floor is pain in the pelvic floor area, but you can also have pain in your back. Uh, you can have hip restrictions, but it also shows up with sneezing, um, wetting your pants when you sneeze or not being able to run, run without some leakage or jumping on a trampoline. Then there is also problems with having an orgasm, pain with intercourse, um, problems just sitting a lot, having excess tension that actually goes up 
the entire spine. And it can result in things like shortness of breath, increased heart rate, poor respiratory rate, and poor gut function. Hmm. Wow. As well as, you know, the usual things of dysmenorrhea, you know, pain with your menstrual cycle or even abnormal menstrual cycles. And something that's more involved is actually in a, um, your hormones not working well. Wow. So I always think of, of the hormones triggering the pelvic floor issue, but you're actually thinking of it the other way around the pelvic floor triggering the hormone imbalance, correct? Correct. Can you explain that to us? How does that feedback? Sure. One of the ways that that happens is that we have poor circulation. So this, the hormones don't get to the tissues that they need to get to. It can also affect hormone receptors, which can be are dependent upon the health of your fascia. So the fascia has more nerve endings and nerve cells than any tissue in the body. So that awareness in the fascia is important to all of our physiology and every organ is surrounded by fascia. Every muscle is surrounded by fascia and every cell is affected by fascia. So it's really this communication network. Okay. So I want you to paint a visual for somebody out there who's like fascia, fascist. What what are you talking about? Like what is fascia? And you're saying there are nerve endings on the fascia and there's a communication network on the fascia. Break that down a little bit more for us. Okay. So fascia is connective tissue and it surrounds every muscle fiber, every muscle. It's the connector and every organ every blood vessel and nerve, it's the connection between the nerve that goes to the muscle and how the muscle functions. Without healthy fascia, you have very um, limited or poor communication between the nervous system and the musculoskeletal system. And that same thing applies to the organ system. Gotcha. Okay. So, you know, we've got this pelvic floor, it's got fascia, it has organs, it has muscles. How does it get into trouble? What are some of the behaviors or maybe even conditions that constrict a pelvic floor or get the pelvic floor in trouble to begin with? Okay. So it's quite broad because we can have mechanical problems and that can be sitting too much. It can be I mean, I see it with people that cycle repetitively. You've got that mechanical um, pressure on the pelvic floor. It, some people are just hypermobile. So that means they're very flexible. So they can get into trouble with the pelvic floor, um, not having the appropriate tone. So, and, and a coughing fit. You know, if you've got days of of coughing, you're straining your pelvic floor. There is an there are so many things that the pelvic floor is connected to, including the diaphragm. So if you hold your breath, you know, you don't breathe or your rib cage doesn't expand, uh, then you're going to have limitations or restrictions in your pelvic floor. It's it's I'm trying to make it simple, but there's so much interconnectedness that you could have a hip problem that's affecting your pelvic floor. You could have had childbirth or difficult birth. Uh, It can pretty much, there are many 
other reasons that the pelvic floor can be in trouble. And inflammation, diet. Oh, the other thing is your gut, because I know you love to talk about the gut. So, <laughs> what, what's the connection between the gut and the pelvic floor? Okay, so, you know, I think that one of the most powerful things is the vagus nerve. And I know that people are starting to hear about the vagus nerve. So it is the largest nerve in the body that carries parasympathetic information. And that has to do with rest, repair, rebuilding, our ability to remain you know, calm and it promotes gut motility. So the vagus nerve carries information from the brain and the body back and forth. And the vagus nerve goes through the diaphragm and opening in the diaphragm and the movement of the diaphragm helps determine the tone of the vagus nerve because it massages it. All right. And so then the vagus nerve is going to all of your, you know, organs of your gut, your heart, your respiratory system, your blood vessels. And so that massage is dependent upon healthy diaphragm function. And the diaphragm is healthy diaphragmatic function is dependent on the healthy pelvic floor. So that's how the pelvic floor, that's one of the ways. It also, because the fascia around the organ system is continuous with the fascia of the pelvic floor. So the more, the healthier our pelvic floor, our whole um, organ system, organ system works better. So essentially you're saying everything's connected. How we breathe and our diaphragm is connected to the pelvic floor. How we move is connected to the pelvic floor. If we sit and don't sit, that's connected as well. We know what gets us in trouble with the pelvic floor. Now, once we are having difficulty and you mentioned some of the signs and symptoms early on, what are the options? You know, I refer patients all the time for physical therapy or pelvic floor, you know, physical therapy to help open that area up. Personally, I love yoga and Pilates because I feel like that really helps. You mentioned the core and how that's such a big, important part of this. Break down for us what we need to be doing to repair a pelvic floor. And if we're not in trouble, what's a good way to keep that pelvic floor healthy? So when I started developing my exercise system, I was working with professional baseball players. And one of the outcomes of my exercise system, which was initially developed for elite athletes to help with performance, the baseball players were saying, you know, our, our wives are wondering why when we come back with a workout, with you, why we want to jump our wives. That's what they said. So I realized that my training was having a significant impact on the pelvic floor. So then I started to develop exercises focusing in on the pelvic floor and creating sequences of exercise that would enhance pelvic floor function. So um, what I found is a healthy pelvic floor has to have a lengthening and a rebound effect. So it has to have the right elasticity. And some things create too much elasticity or they lengthen it and you lose the rebound. And other things will create too much contraction. 
And either of those will create problems or not give you the optimal pelvic floor uh, function that you could be getting. So I set out to develop exercises that would create a healthy pelvic floor. So it requires elongation and rebound in your exercises. And, you know, Pilates is wonderful. Yoga can be wonderful. You just want to make sure you don't hold postures too long because then you're going to lengthen the the collagen fibers and the elastic fibers so that they're not as responsive. Hmm. Okay. So is there a length of time you recommend? When you're holding under up. 15 seconds. Oh, wow. Cause I always think we should be holding to increase resistance, right. And to like maybe burn a little bit of fat, but you're saying no, I'm saying no. Okay. Got it. And then the techniques. So you mentioned, we t- you talked about upgraded neurology and you talked about muscles that often don't get involved in a patient with pelvic floor issues. Can you expand on that? All right. So um, the way that we optimize neurology is the exercises that I do are on an unstable surface and uh, a physio ball so that you're getting the elasticity, the tone of the ball to match up with the tone of your pelvic floor. So doing exercises on a physio ball with the optimal amount of pressure and also the right kind of, uh, gosh, I don't know what makes up the elasticity in the ball. You want that to match up so that the sensory input from your pelvic floor is enhanced just by the experience of sitting on the ball. Mm -hmm. So between the instability, which is encouraging the brain to work better and all the specialized cells that tell us where we are in space, you also want the elasticity to uh, have some guidance. Gotcha. So the ball, is it a good idea for us to be, if we have work or uh, sitting jobs, to be sitting on a ball? It would be great. It would be optimal. Would you recommend doing that for the majority of the day? I think that it would be fatiguing if you did that exclusively. So, no, I love obviously standing desks are great. So change up your position when you're working at at your desk. And what do you think about a wobble chair? So I have a wobble chair that I use as my chair. What's your? Do you know what one of those are? Like yes, I I think they're great. I think they're great. And you know, you can get these wobble cushions that are inflatable and they're small, and you can sit put them on top of a, you know, an office chair and get benefits from that. Cool. Wobble cushions. Hadn't heard of that Mm -hmm. before. Any other uh, sort of hints or tricks to improving? You mentioned the core. Can you help us with how we build the core the best? What's the best way to build the core and how that influences our pelvic floor? Sure. So it's been exciting to watch what's happened with understanding the core and communicating to the public really what the core is. In the past, it was, you know, the back muscles, the hip flexors, the abdominal muscles. And more recently, they've included the pelvic floor, which is great, and the diaphragm as part of the core. 
but I like to refine it more. So all of our abdominal muscles are controlled by small muscles called the pyramidalis or also this lower fascial area. So from the pubic bone to about two inches above the pubic bone serves as a, a, a tensor. So, and all of our abdominal muscles attach to the fascia on the front. So we can control all of our abdominal muscles just with the lower, lowest abdominal muscles and the fascia that's there. And that's continuous with our pelvic floor, which goes to our tailbone and up and is directed to the small muscles of our spine. All of these areas, these small muscles have more neurology. So there are fewer muscle fibers served by a nerve. So you can imagine how much more intelligent that is, better relationship between those muscles and the brain. And then you add in the fascia, which has even more neurology, you're getting really smart, a smart core. Now I see that core as being the megaphones, telling the larger muscles what to do. Fortunately, we've got like a backup of a secondary core because that will fatigue, but it recovers quickly. So that's how I train. That's the core I train. And the best way to get that is by having instability and also lots of data. The brain thrives on novelty. So texture, movement, uh, very specific kinds of movement. All of that goes into optimizing the core. And I think that that's all critical to training and having a healthy core. And then you can do whatever you want. Interesting. Are there, you mentioned uh, the spin bike, are there other activities that, or biking or cycling in general, are there other activities that contract the pelvic floor or? Yes, heavy lifting. Ah. Okay. No, so um, unfortunately, a lot of what's done in, you know, CrossFit kinds of workouts or boot camp things can be very stressful on the pelvic floor. But the exciting thing is that if you do Revolution in Motion, my exercise system, you can do everything that you love to do better. And you have access to the core that really allows you to optimize your performance. Mm, gotcha. Well, any other last sort of helpful hints or tips for people out there who are wanting to improve their pelvic floor health or experiencing a lot of the symptoms of pelvic floor instability? What would you say to them? So I think that, you know, first understanding a little bit more of the benefits of having a healthy pelvic floor will be inspiration to do pelvic floor focused workouts. And okay, it optimizes your core. You, it really is responsible for helping you have optimal energy because if you bring in like the Eastern medicine, your base chakra, your energy comes in through your pelvic floor Um, It also helps you be more decisive because it helps you with posture, gait, balance, coordination. So when you're feeling very stable in your core, then you're more decisive. You are emotionally on point 
um, you know, you have impulse control, better executive functioning. Your focus is better and you have more resiliency. And so my recommendation is that you have to make sure that your exercise that you're doing is facilitating the lengthening and the rebound, getting really healthy elasticity and tone. Gotcha. Well, I love it. Now, if anyone watching or listening today wants to learn more about Revolution in Motion or Pelvic Floor Health, what's the best way for them to find out more? So go to my website, revinmo.com. So that's R-E-V-I-N-M-O.com. And just know that when you've got a healthy pelvic floor, everything is better. Your life is better. I love that. And this is something I can witness firsthand in practice. I've worked with so many of you that have pelvic floor difficulties. Like Dr. Edith uh, mentioned earlier, it can have so many signs and symptoms that we're simply maybe at first not aware of. Everything from frequent urination to urinating with a cough or a sneeze or things like that to issues with intercourse, issues with orgasm, and then sometimes just chronic pain, right? Like chronic pain. Right. Chronic pain, and it can be anywhere because of the interrelatedness. Um, You know, we oftentimes can have vulnerable ankles or feet because of an unhealthy pelvic floor and shoulder problems. We, We have to think beyond just the local area. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, I'm going to start quizzing you guys, by the way, for everybody watching and listening, we're going to start having a quiz at the end of the show and, and send out a prize to whoever can tell me what fascia means. I think that's the word of the day. So whoever can tell me what fascia means, DM me, email me, and I will send you a free bottle of booze. Let's try it that way. Uh, so thank you, Dr. Edith, for taking time out today to join us and talk about pelvic floor health. For everybody else watching or listening, thank you as well. Remember, you can rate and review the show. We're on Apple iTunes and Spotify. Share it with your friends. Let's get super powered. And I'll see you guys next time.